0: Well, this is The New Activist, a weekly show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you this week. Our guest is Ulysses W. Burley III, the man with certainly the greatest name in the history of our show. And I am very excited to share the story of Ulysses with you, or actually, I think more accurately, hear him share his story. because. So much of this conversation is is about what he's doing now in the world, and we'll get to all of that. But also, we're just going to take a lot of time in this interview to go beat by beat through his life. Because starting at a very early age, life for him was not what he expected it to be. And it was marked by tragedy. It was marked by surprises. It was marked by God moving him in a different direction. And it has been marked through all of that by this just wonderful needle sort of being thread throughout the story of who he is that somehow brings him to where he is now let me stop speaking in generalities and let's just get to what ulysses does he shares a lot with faith groups about the realities of living with hiv and aids he is also doing a ton of work around raising awareness but also i think more than awareness raising action around the areas of mass incarceration food security peace in the middle east and much much more so he is just an interesting person and i can't wait for you to hear from him in a few moments A few things that are interesting to note about Ulysses. He was formerly on the US Presidential Advisory Council for HIV and AIDS as a part of the Obama administration. He has also been recognized by the National Minority Quality Forum as a top 40 under 40 in minority health for his work in faith and HIV in communities of color. So he is a very, very accomplished person and a very sweet man. With no further ado, here is the conversation I was privileged to have. With Ulysses W. Burley, the third. So let's get started. Uh, Ulysses W. Burley, the third, which is as good a name as there could ever be. Um, at, at reading through your bio, it's. Crazy. I mean, it's just the the hits just keep on coming as I read through your life and and what you have done and what you do. And I guess I want to start. If it's all right, I I am fascinated by what makes you you. Like, how do you (laughs) how do you exist? So you grew up in Houston. I guess is the place to start. What was what was growing up in Houston like?
1: Yeah. So uh, first of all, thanks for having me, Eddie. I really appreciate. Oh, yeah. uh, your time. Of
0: course, I skipped all formalities. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Sorry, yeah,
1: the, the platform and uh, just the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. So I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Oh, um, well,
0: we are grateful as well.
1: And so yeah, it, it it began in Houston, Texas. Um, grew up into um, you know a, a Christian uh, middle class um, black family. Um, both of my parents were. Uh, college educated professionals uh, did pretty well for themselves. Um, you know, I was the oldest um, of uh, three, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, we had a pretty good life. Um, I was always interested in math and science in school. Um, and so, from a very early age, um, I decided that I wanted to uh, be a healthcare professional. Probably a surgeon, Um, and so uh, I was pretty attuned to that. Um, And you know, I kind of did everything I thought I was supposed to do to be able to achieve that particular goal. Um, And so, you know, I was a good student, um, but I also was a kid, right? And so, I like playing outside and um, sports and hanging out with my friends. Um, and things of that nature, Um, so um, pretty um, good upbringing, and then kind of turned eight years old, and everything kind of turned upside down. Um, My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she was only given uh, about six months to live, Um, and so she actually went on to live for two more years, Um, and so... Um, she passed away when I was 10 years
0: old. Uh, oh no, I didn't. I, I am so sorry. I did not know that as part of your story. I was not, uh, driving towards that. I was just really curious. Yeah, no, so it she, it. It's, a, it's
1: a big part of the story. Wow. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I'm sorry. I, so she passes away at 10 and you're 10 years old. Yeah, I was 10. My sister was six. Huh. Um,
1: and so it was at that point that I do want to be a doctor, but now I know what kind of doctor I want to be. I want to cure cancer. Uh Oh. And so, uh, everything has kind of uh, everything that I've done and every uh, thing that I've accomplished and where I'm at now um, kind of began at that moment. Uh, wow! At that moment, and so, uh, so yeah. Ultimately, was raised by uh, my father, um, my godparents, uh, my grandmother um you know the saying it takes a village to raise a child that's really how I was raised mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. um when my mother passed away everybody really stepped up um to make sure that my sister and I didn't miss a beat um and mm-hmm. so um although I lost a parent uh, I gained uh, so many more uh, guardians in the process mm-hmm. uh which I've been truly thankful for well
0: wow. you you grow up to have now such a deep heart for justice, and we'll get into the finer points of that, but I'm curious if there's anything in that in that young in that child either pre pre ten years old or everything that was ten years old and beyond that was was kind of an early trigger in you that things in the world maybe are not as they should be. I'm just curious if that was part of your life or if that came later. Yeah, no, I
1: certainly, um, I wanted to do healthcare because I wanted to help people. Uh, That was first and foremost. Um, I don't know that I realized that there was, um, injustice because I, I grew up well. Um, I thought everybody had what I had. Um, I was never without, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't fear for my safety at any point in my upbringing. Um, and my community was like, was, was, was obviously, uh, like me, like my upbringing. So, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, which is most people's communities. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, it wasn't really until, um, probably until I, uh, was a teenager, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, began to travel, uh, abroad internationally, um, to kind of. Realized that um, everything wasn't the same everywhere. Um, and so, but, but even still, um, I didn't necessarily have the justice conference that I have now. Mm. It, it was still a, a want and a need to help people. And then more specifically to help people like my mother um, who had fallen mm. ill uh, and then passed away. How can I prevent this from happening to other people?
0: Gosh, it, it always fascinates me when people end up having the response like like that you had when your mother passes away and your response is, well, I want to help other people like that, that are in that situation, because it feels to me like you're going back to the the scene of the crime over and over again. Like there couldn't be almost a more traumatic field for you to get into. When you, when you ended up becoming a doctor, did it, at all feel like that or did it feel the complete opposite like where like in a way there's a redemption it not a redemption but there's a redeeming quality to this this horrific you know, loss of your mom yeah no um the former
1: is is the truth which is why i actually don't practice medicine now Oh really? um, which is why i've uh, taken this uh kind of path to uh social justice uh through a through a different lens um it was uh, a cumbersome burden, actually, uh, hmm. to, to carry around um, that, that memory, uh, but also the burden of having to potentially defend my mother's honor, if, if you will. Hmm. Um, and then from then on, you know, her mother, uh, her sister, her first cousin. So it's, it's, it's a family thing. Um, oh, wow. So my mother was just the first of many. Uh, women in my life to uh, to pass away from from breast cancer or some form of cancer, um, and so wow. yeah. So, and then, but it, 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 so it's interesting. So, I wanted to help people at an early age because of these events. But I also had a very uh, challenging relationship with with God um, because at a, you know at a young age, you know, you're told um, you know God is kind of made to seem to be this. Um, you know, this uh, magic uh, genie that kind of grants you these wishes on demand. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think early on Christianity is, is really kind of given to us in a way that um, kind of is a corollary to perpetual happiness mm-hmm. and, you know um, you know, all being well. Um, and I think it isn't until you kind of really experience the world, the real world, that you realize that um, our faith uh, isn't this promise of happiness, but a promise of salvation, and that mm-hmm. those two things aren't the same. Um, and so I was very angry at God because I couldn't understand why He would take my mother, who was such a good person, um, such yeah. a loving mother. Um, and so even in my, and even in my need and my want to help people, which is um, very much so a Jesus thing. Um, I was also very much so mad at uh, God uh, because I, I didn't understand um, why this incredible, magnificent person who answers prayers would allow something like this to happen. Um, and so that was I was 10 then and I really didn't reconcile my relationship with uh, with Christ really until probably in, until I was in
0: college, uh, if I'm honest can you take me inside the moment or moments or maybe season in college when the reconciling with God actually came? How does that, how does that happen?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, so I went to college, um, and went to Morehouse, I, I Morehouse in
0: North. The, yeah.
1: Morehouse college in Atlanta, Georgia. So, uh, historically black college and university, yeah, amazing. Uh, uh, all, all guy school, uh, all male school, uh-huh. Um, the alma mater of uh, you know, people like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So a lot of history, Oh yeah, um, a lot of culture, um, a lot of uh, prestige. Um, and so it was an honor yeah. uh, to be able to, uh, to learn in that type of environment, hmm. um, to be able to learn more about my culture. Um, but, you know, also um, a very much so uh, institute that um, lifted up the ideals of faith uh, particularly Christianity, you know, we have we had more than one chapel on campus uh, where we could commune and fellowship. Uh, but even throughout college, and maybe this is most college um, kids, you know, I didn't really attend church regularly. Um, I went to chapel on campus sometimes. Um, you know, if I did go to church, it was because maybe I had been invited by a young lady who I was interested in, you know, that type that, 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 that of thing.
0: Go for the wrong reasons, hear the right yeah. thing, right? I right. mean, why not? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, and um, yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was an experience kind of in and of itself. Um, and so, um, you know, I had a moment in college where, you know, I kind of had been good student everything kind of always gone my way. Um, and there was a moment when things weren't necessarily going my way for a couple of different reasons. Um, whether it was personal reasons, whether it was, you know, I had, I was participating in too many, many social activities and that you know, more mm-hmm. so focused on my academics. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, when things get tough, we call on the Lord. <laughs> uh, right. we always, we always kind of go back to our, our roots and our heritage and, um, And so it was a moment in college where um, I needed uh, a strength and a power uh, beyond that of my own to kind of carry me through the end. Um, And so, you know, you call on on God, you go to prayer. um, And um, luckily, we have a God who continues to answer our prayers even when we shut God out. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, um, but even still, I I wouldn't say that I had fully reconciled um, in my faith Uh, at that time. It was Probably, um, I was, um, in halfway through med school and I was overwhelmed, not only with my workload, but with family issues that were going on back home. Um, and so by now I'm in Chicago and so grew up in Houston went to college in Atlanta and they came to Chicago for, uh, medical school and graduate school. Um, and so now I'm in Chicago, um, you know, medical school is heavy, right? For anybody, um. Uh, and then put that on top of um, things that were going on back home um, and just kind of uh, things that were going on in my own personal life. I felt I was at a point where I was not being particularly responsible in my personal relationships, uh, and it was becoming uh, a bit heavy. Uh, And so I had a moment where I just felt like I needed a break. Uh, And maybe not so a break, but I needed an escape. Maybe that's a more proper word. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so right in the middle of med school, between my second and my third year, I um, went to South America, uh, Buenos, Argen- uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, to be exact. And Wow. Um, yeah. And so,
0: what was going on down there? I mean, were you just, just throw a dart at a map? Or <laughs> well, what, so what was- I, um,
1: I had a classmate who had done some study um, during med school in Chile. And, hmm. Um, I knew I couldn't just take off from med school, right? That was an option. Um, but I knew I, I needed I needed an escape. and So, um, you know, I figured out how I could uh, take a year to do study um, around um, health in some capacity. And um, I knew I wanted it to be in a Spanish-speaking country because I also majored in Spanish in college. Um, mm-hmm. So I could speak the language. And I grew up in, in Texas and so kind of had always been around the language. Uh, I could speak the language. Uh, I had already traveled pretty much a great deal um, in Europe uh, and other places, but I had never been uh, to South America. Um, And so, um, yeah, after doing some research, um, after looking up opportunities for uh, students like myself to be able to learn and do things clinically, um, Argentina uh, had a cancer foundation um, that uh, was accepting interns. Um, And so I applied uh, for this particular internship and uh, was awarded the internship with their Cancer Foundation um, because up until then I had been studying cancer, obviously. So that's what I did. But um, God had other plans. I got there um, and the um, Cancer Foundation, the work that I was doing, wasn't necessarily what uh, I anticipated. And... Um, I didn't think that it would be uh, enriching enough um, at that point in my academic career uh, for me. But I was there for a year at this point. And so it became um, kind of a, um, let's see if we can find an alternative. And uh, that alternative was with the um, AIDS Foundation in Argentina, uh, the Fundación Westbed. Um, so mind you, up until this point, I had done oh. all cancer work, um, breast cancer research, prostate cancer research. Uh, my master's in public health work was in pancreatic cancer. Um, and so everything was cancer, cancer, cancer. And um, oh. I go to Argentina to do more cancer work. Um, it wasn't what I had anticipated. Um, and so I went and interviewed with the HIV Foundation at the recommendation um, of um a colleague, and um, ended up working with people living with HIV uh, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, um, in about four of their hospitals. Uh, and this is the experience that really changed uh, not only my life, uh, my professional trajectory, but also my my
0: uh, my faith. Well, we will leave, Mr. Burley in Buenos Aires for a moment so that I can remind you that this podcast is presented by International Justice Mission. IJM is working to end slavery around the globe and will not stop until all are free. Later this year, we are getting together for a massive 20-year celebration where we really look back and thank God and celebrate and look forward uh, to what is going to be happening next and the anti-slavery work that we are getting to be a part of together. This is much more than a conference. This is just a whole experience and you are invited. It's going to be an incredible few days and I would love for you to be there. It is called Liberate and you can get tickets online at liberategathering.org. If you enter in the promo code the activist and enter it all as one word, the New activist, you get $20 off your ticket I would love to see you there. We're going to be recording a bunch of live new activists and just having great conversations as well as being together. So liberategathering.org. Back to the second part of the story that we all get to hear with Ulysses W. Burley third. First of all, this is fascinating because this is the second point now in your trajectory that traveling and just getting out of your context w- seemed to really rattle k- kind of all of you. Right? Yeah. Because it was it was high school, you went and you traveled and that was the first time you said that you saw things sort of outside of your pretty, you know, yeah. safe, comfortable, yeah. normal world. But you saw things and then you go down just on a little more than a whim and now you're starting to be rocked. So, so when you come back to school, you, I'm sorry, we're just going beat by beat, but now I'm deep in the story. I just yeah. have to know how it all moves. So when you come back, do you, you come back to Northwestern at that point That's after? Right. Okay. And when you come back to Northwestern, you finish out, tell me how you finish out school. Yeah. Cause you, you end in a very different place than you started. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, um, So Buenos
1: Aires, I was there for a year. I was doing, uh, working with HIV patients uh, uh, in about four of their public hospitals. Um, uh, Back, a little context on HIV and AIDS. Um, It's as much a social disease as it is a medical disease, um, just by the way in which it's uh, transmitted. Um, It also uh, impacts a particular uh, group of people more than others, um, the LGBTQ community. And so on a whim, I'm kind of having to decide, you know, where I stand on certain things, um, and then how those things, you know, match with my faith and, you know, my, my social constructs and ideals, um, and things of this nature. So it was a time that I was kind of forced, catapulted into, um, a number of different realities that had not been my own. Um, and then, um, really forced to, 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 to figure out, you know, how I feel about them. Um, and Um, It really changed my my life and my outlook on, um, you know, sex and sexuality, um, on um, stigma associated with sex and sexuality, um, diseases associated with sex and sexuality. Uh, And it was there that I realized that um, through my work with uh, people living with HIV in you know, some of the poorest provinces outside of Buenos Aires, um, you know, we're talking about hospitals that you know, don't necessarily have running water everywhere, um, hospitals that didn't have electricity throughout the facility, hospitals where animals were kind of roaming freely. Um, you know, I was exposed to tuberculosis while I was there, um, and had to take medication for nine months, um, afterwards as a result of my exposure just because of the work that I was doing. Um, yeah. And so at the end of that year, um, Eddie, I was, um, I had been spiritually challenged, um. To where, you know, I kind of found God again, um, or, or let me say this: I was actually listening for God's voice again. Um, um, mm. It wasn't that God had stopped talking to me; it was that I had stopped listening, um, and I was kind of, kind of, kind of going my own way. Uh, and so, I, I, I started mm. to be able to hear God's voice again, um, but I also started to see my own trajectory in a different light, in that. Uh, up until this point, um, everything had been about my own personal story, uh, had been about uh, kind of, you know, curing cancer, um, you know, avenging my mother's death, um, you know, this type of thing. Um, and um, the experiences that I had in, in South America really kind of opened me up to um, the experiences of the world, um, out, just outside of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time in my life that Uh, I was exposed to what we call the social determinants of health. Um, And that is the things in society that contribute to our our actual physical health. And so um, socioeconomic status, violence, poverty, um, faith, government, all, you know, all these things and how do they impact people's actual health. Um, And um, HIV and AIDS really gave me um, a platform for, uh, what it means to do social justice work in public health. Um, and so it was a type of, this. it's the type of disease that, um, you know, if you, if you can impact poverty, if you can impact, um, violence, if you can impact corruption, if you can impact uh, social uh, uh, economic inequality, then you could impact HIV and AIDS. And we can't say that for for all di- for all diseases, but we wow. can for sure say it with HIV and AIDS because everybody I encountered was poor or um, you know dependent on substances or had had a challenging upbringing that was rife with you know domestic violence um, or had been uh, discriminated against as a result of. Ah, uh, the color of their skin, or their gender, or sexual identity, uh, and so these were all things that kind of were uh, piled onto me in this one experience. And by the time I had finished, um, I went into South America wanting to cure cancer. I ended up working with HIV and AIDS, and I left South America not wanting to cure HIV, but wanting to cure poverty, because I realized that because I realized that if I could impact the social Um, constructs that I can impact disease. Um, And so that's really kind of where my social justice compass was calibrated uh, in South America through doing these work, because I would see people and they would come into the hospital and we would do everything we could for them. Uh, But then we had to send them back out into a world that um, was poverty stricken, um, that was corrupted, that had violence, um, that didn't necessarily um, equate everyone the same, Um, and so you send people back out to that environment and they're going to end up back in the hospital, uh, with something else as a result of it. Um, and so at that point I was like, I don't know that I want to spend the rest of my life in a hospital treating people with medicine. Um, I think maybe I want to spend the rest of my life, um, in the world, treating people with love, um, treating people with. Kindness and equality and things of that nature. So, so this is this is kind of how my my whole thought process had been transformed. I, I had to come back to Northwestern and finish, you know, my last two years of school, and then I had training after that. But now I'm conflicted um, because I don't know that this is if this is what God is calling me to do. Um, but
0: yeah, yeah. Pardon me, interruption. But how do you finish? It's not just two years of any school. This is two years of med yeah. school. So this is really different. How do you? Do that, knowing that kind of the stirring of your soul is moving towards, a, a, like it, it would like a pretty different way of caring for. Yes. People. How, how did yeah? How so did you do I that?
1: found I found ways to feed both. Um, so yeah. To to be clear, medicine, health, um, I love those things, and it's still it's still still my right. foundation. Um, and that and that was still the case. Like I still, you know, even though I don't do work clinically. I still read all of the clinical journals, um, and everything because at my core, um, that's a part of who I am. But, um, I had to find a way to feed this newfound, um, part of me, um, this social justice, um, kind of everybody matters, um, that has a, a, a faith lens. Um, and so what I did when I got back, um, there were two things. Um, I wanted to make sure that I, um, uh, kept up with my Spanish, Um, but outside of that, um, I came back and um, I got connected with the National Lutheran Church because, again, I had been baptized Lutheran, I have been worshiping Lutheran my entire life, Uh, and the Lutheran headquarters was in Chicago, which is where I was now going to school. Um, And so I went to a young adult leadership conference um, at the um, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America headquarters in Chicago. Um and um the pastor who was leading the leadership conference, um, you know, we basically got to introduce ourselves um and you know, what have you been doing for the last year? And you know, when it got to be my turn, well, um, you know, I'm a medical student. I just got back from South America for a year. I was working with HIV patients um, you know, in my last couple of years of school. Um and the gentleman um, afterwards, pulled me to the side and he said, "Hey, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Lutheran Church um, has done HIV work for years through our World Hunger program, and we just drafted our very first uh, national HIV and AIDS strategy, um, and we could really use somebody with your type of expertise to help us implement it." And so, this is 2010, I think, by right now, uh, 2009, um, and so, and so I was like, "Wow, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know that." Churches did this kind of work. Right. Um, and so, yeah, uh, fast forward to the summer of 2010. And so a year later, I was at the International AIDS Conference in Vienna, Austria, representing the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America as a youth delegate. And so here my I had found a way to merge, marry my faith with uh, my faith and my social justice conference with my public health uh, background. Uh, all the while I was still doing everything I needed to do to to get out of med school, med school, right? Um, And so um, finishing school, doing this research, um, but also continuing to be engaged um, with the Lutheran strategy on HIV and AIDS um, and learning more about um, the faith-based engagement in public health work. Um, And so it was really uh, feeding all of my loves, um, uh, finished school, um, did training, ended up staying in allergy, asthma, and immunology because I had been doing, um, that, that research, um, since I got back. Um, but all the while, um, I was still engaging the Lutheran church around this HIV, um, work, faith-based work. Now, mind you, you notice I haven't mentioned cancer again. And so, um, I ended up. Right. My, I had. No, a, yeah. I got a master's in public health and cancer epi- ep- epidemiology. So um, I finished that, um, but I never looked back. And part of it was my time in Argentina really allowed me um, to realize that, um, you know, the pressure that I, I had put on myself and even my family um, had put on my uh, had put on me to um, really pursue kind of cancer professionally um, you know, as a result of our family history was um a pressure that I was no longer willing to bear. Um and hmm. so I shedded that pressure and I started to view cancer in a new way, um, in that it wasn't just a disease, but it was all of these social ills that I had been exposed to while I was in South America. And so I began to view poverty as a cancer. I began to view violence as a cancer. I began to view uh, prejudice and discrimination as a cancer. Um, I began to view HIV as a cancer. Um, And so um, with that perspective, I was able to kind of reconcile kind of my lifelong goal um, with, you know, what I thought was a responsibility to my family and to myself um, that had really become an unhealthy burden on me which is part of the reason why I had that escape. I had that retreat, like right in the middle of school uh, to the point where, you know, my, my father and my Mm. godparents were kind of asking me, do you even want to be a doctor anymore? Do you want to do this anymore? Um, And God showed me a different Mm. way um, that I could use my gifts uh, to still help people. um, But maybe do so in a way that didn't involve, you know, people dying in the hospital and, um, you know, machines that beep all night and, Um, 36 hour shifts and things of that nature. So I did everything that I needed to do to, um, to, you know, finish my medical training. Um, but the moment I was done, um, I began to explore, uh, ways in which I could feed this new part of me. Um, and lo and behold, it was through the church. Um, that same strategy that uh, I was introduced to as a student. Uh, I became the director of that strategy, um, yeah. um, and um, that really opened up uh, tremendous levels of opportunity for me uh, in the world of, or in the realm of public health, social justice, and faith, um, and so I got to travel the world um, doing HIV and AIDS work, but uh, without ever stepping foot in the hospital or diagnosing a patient. Uh, I was I was kind of a medical missionary, um, if you will, but I didn't, I didn't, I kind of oversaw, um, you know, clinical programs and things of that nature. Um, I spent more time in churches than I did in hospitals. I spent more time in community than I did in, um, laboratories. Um, that was, those were, those were my new settings, uh, for doing healthcare work. Uh, and that's kind of how my, my, my business, but also my brand of You Be The Cure was born, uh, which is what I do now. So uh, I founded You Be The Cure yeah. LLC um, two years ago, which is uh, a proprietary consulting company um, that focuses on the intersections of faith, health and human rights.
0: It's fascinating how you like have and I mean this with a deep amount of respect like you don't really have a lane because you've carved a lot of lanes really successfully which is usually the opposite advice but it's just you really have this deep passion it seems for a lot of different areas and you've positioned you, you've been positioned and positioned yourself in such a way it's fascinating to hear you pull the thread throughout your life because it really like it, it's funny because you read it on paper, and you're like, man, that was a big leap. That was a big leap. But this was the exact trajectory, wasn't it? Like from from Houston to today, this is exactly the right move for this is this is who you
1: were supposed to be. It is. And when people always, uh, when I when I tell people about it, you know, I tell them I never I never planned this. Um, right. My plan was to be a surgical oncologist, um, make money, be comfortable, and um, try and save lives. That was the plan. Mm. Um, and um, God had other plans. And it was it, it was a plan that I think God had been depositing into me um, even before I had the realization. But just like I said, I had, I had shut God out to a point to where I wasn't listening. Um, mm. and So it took me to be able to hear God's voice, to listen and then to actually follow through.
0: Yeah. Well, in our final moments, I would be remiss if I didn't um, ask you to maybe uh, lend a little bit of your consulting wisdom to us on specifically the issue of people living with HIV AIDS. Um, I was struck as you were talking about um, the, that you work so much in the faith community, raising awareness and talking about HIV AIDS that I've never been to a church and I, my, my job as I travel to churches and speak, I don't think I've ever been to a church ever that has a announcement about anything happening with HIV AIDS doesn't have a flyer up on a bulletin board. This is not a thing I've experienced. Now this may be my experience, but I'm curious, like, is, is, is my experience what you've seen to be representative in the church? Yes. Obviously not your Lutheran church, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So the
1: shorter answer is yes. Um, yeah. HIV is very much still viewed as a disease of, uh, the African continent. Um, and so even if people do have a ministry around it or are aware of it, it's about what's happening over there and not necessarily what's happening yeah. here. The Lutheran st- Church's strategy mm-hmm. was specifically a domestic strategy. And so it was a strategy to address the HIV epidemic here in the United States. Um, and so I, I give thanks for my church um, for having that, um, that wisdom um, and just really acknowledging that there was an epidemic happening right here. Um, that we needed to address, um, that needed people's attention, needed people's resources. You know, there's a lot of stigma associated with HIV and AIDS because it's a sexually transmitted disease. Um, And so um, with that stigma comes, you know, shame and discrimination um, and prejudice. Um, And so it's difficult to authentically do work around the disease itself if we malign wow. the people in which the disease impacts. Um, and so, wow. um, and so one of the reasons why I've had such tremendous success in this lane is because there are very few people who have both my, um, uh, my clinical credentials and background, but also my yeah. faith background, um, who do the work together, yeah. um, just because of so many things from both worlds, um, have conflict with each other. Um, so where they're not able to work together. So yes. um, um, I was appointed to Barack Obama's Presidential Advisory Council for HIV and AIDS, um, which I was grateful for, but it wasn't because uh, I was a doctor. It was because I was a doctor who did faith-based work um, and they wanted that that voice at the table.
0: Yeah, there cannot be many people in the middle of the Venn diagram with you, right? I mean, there's, right. I've never heard of anyone. This is, you're, it's really fascinating to hear the spot that you're at. And of course, yes, that's why you'd be on the president's council. Right. Um,
1: so, you know, little, little did I know, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people who have my gifts and who who do what I do better than I do. Um, but there are a few people who um, have married those gifts um, yeah. the way in which I have. Um, and so I, I give thanks for that. And, you know, I now try and use those gifts, um, you know, um, for you be the cure to continue mm-hmm. that work, um, in, you know, faith communities. And I say faith communities because it's not just, um, you know, an, uh, an issue that is overlooked in Christianity. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, this is something that is, um, not addressed in well enough in, in all faiths. Um, and so I do a lot of, uh, interfaith, uh, multi-faith work. Uh, as as well around um, HIV and AIDS, but 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 public health in general, um, yeah. and um, you know policies and and things of that nature. Um, mm. um, you know 80, 80 more than eighty percent of the world's population identifies with the faith, um, and so you know that's a large percentage of percentage of people. And so just you know imagine if we could get everyone to coalesce around this issue of HIV and AIDS, the way in which we have around, you know, issues of poverty and, and things of that nature. And so uh, that, that, that continues to be one of my goals.
0: Um, I have two more quick questions. I'm gonna let you get back to your snow day. We can hear your little, <laughs> your friends behind you are waiting for you. Um, yeah. just, just two quick things. Um, first, as someone who has defined themselves as an activist, I'm curious, how do you define the term activist?
1: Um, I think at its root, uh, to act. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I think there are um, four levels of um, authentic activism. Um, uh, Seeing, so seeing injustice, being able to see it and identify it, um, being able to um, listen to those who have been um, discriminated against. um, And so being able to hear injustice, um, then being able to speak out against injustice. Um, And then the final and the highest uh, pillar or tier is to act uh, out against injustice. And so um, I think activism is um, the culmination of seeing, hearing, speaking um, um, injustice uh, and then acting to end injustice um, is what I define activism as. Um, I don't um, want to pigeonhole Um, what those specific actions are. Um, I think there are a lot of ways to act now, um, whether it's boots on the ground, um, whether it's uh, protesting, whether it's through uh, fine art, um, Mm. whether it's through writing. Um, A lot of people have, um, you know, power in their pen. Um, You know, social media activism is a thing. I think, you know, sometimes we discourage hashtag activism is what they have called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but we've seen the influence that hashtag activism has had. Um, you know, even when we talk about the Me Too movement, um, which I would, you know, mm-hmm. the most recent, um, um, mm-hmm. movement of, uh, um, gender equality. Um, and so, you know, I think activism has a number of different, um, a number of different forms today. Um, but whatever it is, it, it, it needs to be active work. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, it needs to be anti-work. So we talk about, if we talk about racism, for example, um, you know, there's pro-racism. Those are people who we have, who identify as race, racist, people who are actively running toward this society that is separated and divided. Um, and then there are non-racists. Um, and those are, those are the people who are not necessarily doing anything to thwart racism, uh, but they also aren't Actively contributing to racism, either, um, and then there's anti racist um, and those are people who are actively working to end racism. People who are actively working to run away from a society of racism. Um, people who are putting their their bodies and their minds on the line to end racism. Um, the thing is, most of us are nones, uh, right? Um, non um, engaging, um, and you know it doesn't affect me, and so. Um, I'm not racist. And so, um, you know, that's, that's all that matters. Um, people who aren't necessarily actively trying to end racism. Um, and I'm just using racism as, 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 as an example of one form of injustice. And so yes. I think there are a lot of us are nons in society where, uh, we're just kind of comfortable in, 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 operating, um, in our own space. I was a non before my, my trip to, uh, Argentina, um, where I was exposed mm. to the, to everyone else's problems. Right. Um, you know, I'm not a person living with HIV. I'm not, um, an LG, a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, I am not poor. Um, you know, I'm not a number of different things that, um, have, you know, qualified people for, um, um, you know, this disease. Um, but I understand that, um, you know, we are an, an interconnected community um, and that as long as one of us um, is infected with HIV, all of us are infected with HIV. Um, um, I feel that way. And that is deeply rooted in my Christian faith. Um, you know, our faith, my you know, the Bible says that, um, you know, if one member uh, of the body is uh, impacted, then all members of the body are impacted. And so I truly believe that. So um, I think activists are people who, um who see, who hear, who speak, uh, who act, uh, not just on behalf of themselves, but on behalf of um, the people and the causes that don't necessarily impact them.
0: Wow. Last thing, and it's a really hyper practical question, but I am aware that many people, and me included, I I don't want to externalize this, a lot of us, maybe don't know anybody with HIV AIDS have never taken a single step into caring for being a better advocate for, uh, even just engaging with anybody who has HIV AIDS. What would you offer to us as just a, a single step that we can take to be able to better understand and expand who we are?
1: Absolutely. Um, so I would say that, um, everyone knows somebody who is living with HIV. They just don't know it. Um, so I would start there. Um, and I think that statement is telling to um, where we're at in the epidemic. Um, you know, when you think about cancer, um, when, you, when you hear somebody um, is living with cancer, your first response is empathy, um, is sympathy. Um, when you learn that somebody is infected with HIV, the first natural response usually is to then ask or wonder how they got it. Um, that's the uh-huh. difference between the disease of HIV and AIDS and a disease, for example, like cancer. Um, there's no stigma attached to cancer. You know people who are living with cancer because people um, don't have the shame that comes with um, um, living with HIV to be able to say, to, to have to hide their their cancer diagnosis. Whereas because of the shame, because of the stigma associated to HIV and AIDS, you have people who are living silently, um, who are dying silently, Uh, who are living um, in secret um, because um, the first response is not empathy, but it's judgment. Um, And so I would say um, today, medically, scientifically, we have everything that we need to relegate HIV and AIDS to a chronic disease. Uh, We don't have a cure, but we have what we need to make sure people live a long, healthy and natural lifespan. Um, Now what we need to eradicate is stigma and discrimination. Uh, Stigma and discrimination kill more people living with HIV than HIV does. Um, And so I would really encourage people to um, do three things. Um, To um, be aware that HIV and AIDS uh, still exists. Uh, 1.2 million people are living with HIV in the United States um, Mm -hmm. currently. Um, 40 million people worldwide. Um, And so be aware that HIV and AIDS still exists as an epidemic. Um, And so be aware that, you know, somebody living with HIV, um, even if you don't know it. um, And that's because of stigma and discrimination and educate, be aware, educate yourself of um, the realities of HIV and AIDS um, and then use your awareness and your education to eliminate the stigma and discrimination associated with the disease associated with the, the types of people um, that the disease disproportionately impacts, specifically the LGBTQ population. Um, and then move forward in love. Um, part of my mantras at You Be The Cure is that uh, we treat people, not disease. Um, and so I encourage people to move to a place where um, their treatment of others is um, with love and dignity and empathy and not with judgment. Um, and hate and discrimination Um, and I think once we can um, move past um, kind of our our, our ideologies our own personal individual ideologies uh, around um, you know HIV and AIDS itself but also um, sex and sexuality um, then we can truly begin to allow those who are suffering silently Um, to be able to uh, live out loud Um, and when they can live out loud then we can help them um, in public um, and we can support them Um, and so yeah so you know be aware educate yourself um, eliminate stigma and discrimination um, and then act um, if you have that ability and capacity to do so
0: That was Ulysses W. Burley III, and I am deeply grateful for him sharing his story, for encouraging us to travel. We've heard that before, haven't we? Get out of our bubble, go and see some part of the world. Just go see the other part of your city to understand how people live around the globe. But also, I mean, there was a lot in his conversation, but the thing that has stuck with me was when I said, you know, I don't think I know anybody with HIV AIDS, and he said, respectfully, you do. And uh, that rattled me because this is just not a part of activism that I have considered. This is not a part of the world that I think has anything to do with anyone in my proximity. And I am grateful that he pushed back on that and on us and prompted us to think. My guess is that you are going to want to hear more from Ulysses. To do that, the best place to go is to his website of, of the foundation that he started, ubthecure.com. And it's not like Y-O-U-B-E, the cure. It's U, the letter, B, the letter, the cure.com. I think I made that more confusing than I needed to. ubethecure.com. Everything will be in the show notes. Go find out more about him. Follow him on social media. See where he is speaking and just listen to Ulysses. He will challenge all of us. If you would like to chat about this show, we are on social media, Facebook and Twitter. Both of the handles are newactivistis, one word, newactivistis, and our website is newactivist.is. We'd love to hear more of your thoughts. Thank you all for sharing the show and just affirming the work that we are doing together as a part of this show. If you have a moment to continue that, share on Facebook, share on Twitter, just retweet or whatever you know how to do this i feel like i don't need to give you instructions for social media (laughs) Uh, but also if you can go to itunes and rate and review the show it is one of if not the primary way that people find the show and it is so helpful thank you for doing that our score today was provided by the brilliance you can find out more about the band the merch the tour everything at thebrilliancemusic.com don't forget to go to liberategathering.org and sign up, visit Liberate, learn more about IJM, and come come to the experience. Come hang out with us. I would love to meet you. I would love to see uh, the New Activist family there. I would be really excited. Liberategathering.org, enter promo code, The New Activist. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Ulysses W. Burley III, my colleagues at International Justice Mission, as well as the relevant podcast network. I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends.